Leanne Dalziel is the Mayor of Christchurch, a former minister in the Helen Clark government, and if I may say so, with some experience in the area, probably the best Minister of Commerce we've had in my professional lifetime. Uh, Gosh, Leanne, thank you. <laughs> thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. I thank you. That probably will be the, um, the, 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 the most positive thing because, of course, you've just passed a long-term plan that puts up uh, rates over the next 10 years on average by 54%. In 2019, your re-election pledge was to, quote, reduce rate increases to a sustainable level, close quote. How do you think you're going? Well, look, absolutely, that was um, uh, a, a the, the, the campaign pledge that I made and, and reinforced by... Uh, the councillors sitting around the table and and making it absolutely uh, clear that we wanted to have a range of strategic priorities. And so just, just running through those, enabling active and connected communities to own their future, meeting the challenge of climate change through every means available, ensuring a high quality drinking water supply that is safe and sustainable, accelerating the momentum the city needs and ensuring rates are affordable and sustainable. So affordability and sustainability has been a key feature um, of the approach that we've adopted. So that was 2019 and then we had 2020 and of course we were hammered uh, as everyone was by the impacts of uh, COVID-19 and the lockdown and the impact that that had on our on our dividends. And so a major impact for the council has been uh, the reality of that effect. Uh, but at the same time, we've got a chief executive who is very focused on um, her new role, coming into it as a new role, uh, getting um, that root and branch approach undertaken so that we could start uh, paring back what wasn't required uh, in terms of rates increases. So. I think the feedback that we got from the public this time was that, yeah, they were expecting an increase. Uh, they um, they felt that we'd got the balance just right. Uh, and I think that there will always be people who will think that we can do better. And we, it is a, a, a process of continuous improvement and it will continue uh, with our chief executive uh, keeping that focus on driving those costs down. So just want to pick that up because obviously all councils are facing uh, increased, well, sorry, reduced revenue um, yeah, other than we rates have revenue more, because of COVID. We have more assets. We have a higher asset base than most of our our counterparts. Um, you know, the sort of the airport uh, company, obviously the, the, the Littleton Port. I mean, often, and, you know, in a number of other assets as well. So... Uh, in terms but you're of not the, subsidising um, those. I mean, you, no, you no, no, we're not subsidising those. Well, then, uh, well so with one getting... exception, with one exception, we have um, we we did reduce the uh, requirements from the Littleton Port Company in terms of our expectations around the return in order to uh, invest in the uh, cruise terminal. So, and and I guess the cruise berth, um, you know, in terms of the wake of the impact of COVID-19, uh, there'll be, a, be uh, a, a long time before that will uh, be returning 
the investment that uh, we would have indicated at the time. But no, you're right. I mean, we're not we're not getting capital back from those, although we did borrow against the um, we did borrow against our our assets, our companies uh, at the time of uh, in, in in 2015 as an alternative to the to the sale of assets, which was the um, approach that had been recommended. So you mentioned the 2019, you, you went through four key priorities. Um, I noted um, climate change, connected communities, which I'd argue both of those are slogans, and then rates and water. Well, no, no, can I just use the active and connected communities as an example? So I don't, I don't accept that it's a slogan. We had a number of community organisations that came to the council this time not so much with an ask, but with an offer, an offer to work in partnership with a view to actually achieving a lot more by working in partnership with the council. And I just, I, I, th- I think of uh, one example where, where essentially they were saying, look, if you can make the investment up front and removing some of the, you know, the particular trees and various things that needed to be removed from a particular area, we'll look after it for you. You don't need to put the operational costs into that if you invest that capital cost up front. So there was a there, there, there really is uh, depth in the whole concept that's, of that's bringing people together. Obvious, though, isn't it? On the council but that's, books, that's treated as, but as that's obvious. But that's the point, is that enabling people to, um, to, to actually play an active role within their communities, it does build for more uh, resilient communities as against some of the challenges that the city's had over a number of years. Okay, it was actually the climate change one I wanted to pick up on. Sure. Are there any areas of investment you can point to that aren't in areas covered by the ETS? Because what we're seeing up and down the country are councils doing things like getting more electric cars, for example, ignoring the elephant in the room that transport's already covered by the ETS. So the overall impact on reduced emissions is zero. Is there anything you can point to that that officials have said this actually reduces New Zealand's greenhouse emissions? Well, I'm I'm I don't have all of the details in terms of the um, the the climate change strategy in front of me, and nor do I have an up to date uh, view on the. Um, on, on the uh, on the ETS and its impacts, but we know that we are not going to make a difference in terms of uh, in terms of our greenhouse gas emissions unless we work collaboratively with a range of others uh, within our within our wider uh, community. We have worked uh, on well, ensuring that... Where's the that, money going? What, what are your big projects then? Or well, the, 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 big, the big ticket items in terms of the budget are... Um, and I mean, the, probably the, the largest one is in relation to... Well, it's a, it's a part of the, the uh, roads and footpaths um, uh, component of our transport... Uh, which is the isn't that um, pretty core service? The, I mean, the, the, the public that... transport. Well, no, it's a very difficult area, and I I've found this particularly challenging. In in order to really make a big difference, you've got to have a fully integrated public and active transport system. It seems to me, after even all these years, impossible to achieve that 
when you've got a um, an operating model which is based on a theoretical view of what competition between bus companies will bring um, as as contrasted to the need to ensure that all of the infrastructure is capable of delivering the you know the the reliable travel times so we are, we are not as a council uh, focused at all on getting more people onto buses because that's not our role our role is sidelined as it were to looking at purely what is it that we can do by way of infrastructure changes that will give priority to buses, for example. And that, to me, doesn't make sense. Do you you mean the distinction between your territorial authority and... um, The Regional Council, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's a nuts... I mean, it's absolutely nuts. Like, I cannot, for the life of me, understand why anyone would think that having a competitive market model for bus companies is in any way capable of delivering a fully integrated public and active transport system, because it's got to be both, public transport and active transport. It's the same with the cycle, the major cycleway routes. You talk to parents and parents will tell you they will not put their kids on bikes until they know that their kids are going to be safe. And so they pick them up after school, they take them to school in the morning, and that adds to the emissions, it adds to congestion, and it adds to a number of the challenges that we're going to face uh, in years to come. So having a a focus on active transport and our major cycleway routes are part of that uh, has been a a good way of making an investment um, in the future. Okay. Let's go back to back to rates. We've covered the fifty four percent over ten years. This um, puts up rates by just a smidge less than five percent next year. Only a few months ago, uh, the council was proposing and finding three hundred twenty nine million dollars in uh, in claim savings. That's gone down now to two hundred and sixty eight. You said earlier that things changed because of COVID. Isn't why haven't you worked harder to increase the amount of savings, rather than, um, act, I mean, in effect, spend more. Look, to tell you the truth, when you listen to the submissions, when people come in front of the council and make their submissions, uh, a number of the operational savings that were proposed uh, were actually overturned uh, by the council uh, in the um, in the consideration of how we would respond to those submissions. So a number of the changes to library hours, the art gallery, the, you know, the, the Rickerton bus lounges, the, um, you know, th- those sorts of things. Uh, Councillors sat there and listened to what the public had to say. Um, and they pulled back from them. of the overall views of ratepayers, though? Because certainly the submissions that came through our submission tool, the the absolute vast majority was saying that, look, in the current economic environment, 5% a year or doubling of rates over the next 10 years is is frankly not living within your means or living within your ratepayers' means. 
Well, it, it also um, asks us to look at whether some of these changes are going to be made in the time frame that was expected. So you use the example of going out with a certain number and then that number increasing for operational expenditure. One of the things that we had in there was, uh, and, and it was quite a substantial chunk, related to bringing in um, excess water charges. So th this is for... For not not for everyday use, but for excess water use, it largely well, focuses for, for like on large summer period. And, and the like. No, it focuses on people watering the garden. Actually, so it's not about large families. In fact, it's uh, that the household allowance is significantly higher than the average household use. So it's not about that. It's about essentially people watering their gardens. Is, is where the large amount of the excess use comes. Instead of bringing it in straight away, though, we're bringing it in over 12 months. So the next 12 months is actually about informing people about their use so that they can get used to the idea of how much water they use at different times of the year. And the purpose of that is that we believe that we will see behaviour change as a result and that people will uh, reduce their um, their water use. If you look at consumption rates between Auckland, which is um, completely charged out on use, uh, versus Christchurch, which hasn't, uh, there's about a 40% difference in water use. And so it's not about your average household use at all. It's actually about um, it's actually about the gardens, unfortunately. So you mentioned um, just thinking a bit deeper, some of your colleagues or some of the councillors um, have said that there should be greater effort to cut costs and that the council is more focused on, quote, cutting ribbons than cutting costs. Fair, fair point, or how, how do you respond to well, that, that, that criticism? That's, that, that's a headline, you know, to, to, to use a phrase yeah. like that. Can I just say that I sit around the table as the mayor of the city um, with one vote in my back pocket, and that's the same as every other person that sits around the table. In order to bring together the Mayor's recommendations for the final consideration of the Council, uh, I worked very collaboratively with all councillors. We had many workshops. We worked through all of the issues. I got an indication of where those numbers fell. Um, how many people were in favour of this sort of approach as opposed to this sort of approach. And we went through each and every element of our um, long-term plan, and that included, uh, before we went out for consideration, all of the activity management plans and all of the levels of service. So we just we, we really did work together, I think, quite collaboratively. It doesn't mean we all agree. And so I took as the mayor's recommendations the the what I felt was the majority view of the councillors, and that's how we made this process work. And are we taking the foot off the pedal? No. Uh, is the chief executive under no illusion that we have greater expectations of what she is able to deliver? Yes. Uh, will we see further changes during the course of this year? Yes, we will. And will we see further changes um, proposed in the annual plan? Yes, we will. 
Okay, so the, I just want to zoom in on your largest expenditure item. About 40% of your total operating costs as staff, you've, you've, you've reduced, is it 60, 63 positions, was it? Which is much smaller as proportion of staff than Auckland Council. The, the question I have is, is twofold. The first is, would you accept that you're bloated in that you haven't made the savings to staff that Auckland, which is hardly the um, the pinnacle of, of fiscal prudence, has made. And the second question I have for you, and it's something that that you were the only council, or um, if not the only one of only a couple, um, I'd need to double check, that won't tell the taxpayers' union how many staff are paid more than a hundred thousand. So my question is this: one, how many staff do you have in the group that are paid more than a hundred thousand? And two, do you accept you haven't uh, cut uh, as much as, say, Auckland has in the current economic environment? Look, I'm really sorry, but um, the number of people who are paid over 100,000 is written in our annual report, and I just don't have it in front of me. So, no, no, it's um, not, unfortunately. With the way the bands you use don't match... The, band, the, the bands of other councils. And when we've asked for a further breakdown, your councils told our staff, no, no, we're not going to provide information so we can compare apples and apples. Oh, well, no, that's news to me. So I didn't I didn't know that. So let me let me see if I can get that for you. Because um, uh, if, you, if you go onto our league tables, our ratepayers report out, you'll see Christchurch is a real outlier that it doesn't have that information where we've got that for if not every other council, it'll be it'll it'll be just one or two we don't. So I yeah no I, I, I'm sorry. So what is the band that we use? Uh, I think it's a I, uh, I think it's a 110 or 120, but it's the way you split it up. Um, okay. Some yeah, it's um, it, it just okay. doesn't quite. No, align. look, I, I literally was not aware of that. As you can appreciate, um, we as elected members have nothing to do with the um, with the uh, Lagoima process, the official information process, which is designed to protect, um, you know, the and 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 make available information such as that. So leave that with me, and I will okay, well, um, come back to you as quickly ahead. as I can. I do apologise. I, I I simply wasn't aware that that was the case. The other um, big the, the other big um, standout in Christchurch, and I appreciate that there's that there is a historical good reason for it with the quakes. But Christchurch is ranked the highest in the country. Uh, only um, uh, Auckland is, uh, is, is number two, but it is $20,000 per household. According to Ratepayers Report, your total debt or your total liabilities has just clicked over $30,000 for every ratepayer. Does this long-term plan start to repay debt or does it simply increase that further? Look, I um, I think that the I mean, there's there's two elements to the debt, and and you are quite right that Christchurch's position uh, derives from the, um, the the earthquake sequence, and some it, of the it, well, it, it start it, it was from a bad start though. In fairness, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the healthiest. It was already quite highly indebted compared to other councils prior to the earthquakes coming along. I I don't know that I've I, I don't know that that is that is quite right. But let me let me again check that for you because um, I don't have that immediately in front of me. 
the amount of debt that the uh, that the council has um, has taken on relates to a number of different things, and one of them relates to the um, you know essentially to the to to the amount of work that had to be done uh, after the earthquakes, but also so so the repair work that had to be done, uh, and also. The, um, the new assets that we were um, obliged to build as a result of, um, you know, both the cost-sharing agreement and the and the um, impact of the uh, blueprint on the city. So, so th- there are there are a number of issues that that relate to the level of requirement that was um, put on us, and I guess um, in many respects it was what I inherited when I arrived, but. But leaving all that aside, there are also a number of other challenges that uh, we have as a city. One of the issues that arose, which you'll be well aware of, is the um, the decision to uh, remove our secure status um, at, at the time uh, for our water, which meant that we had to uh, chlorinate our water. And we are investing and still investing heavily in our um, water infrastructure so that we are able to uh, apply for an exemption when the new um, regulator takes over that that particular role. Uh, When I became the mayor, we had just lost as a city uh, our ability to issue building consents and uh, the government had put in place a... um, uh, um, an individual to to basically run the department and uh, ensure that we were able to meet those requirements, which we are now able to do. But all of these things add to the extent of the difficulties that this council uh, has had to confront. Um, in addition, the uh, floods, the flooding um, okay. issues so, that so, impacted us in 2014. Again, can I, can I the, a massive though? investment, but a massive investment has meant this time that people's houses didn't flood. So there are, uh, there are, uh, there are uh, so many different elements. But yes, I do agree with you that we are highly indebted. Uh, the council made a decision not to um, dispose of assets, which was the the other way um, of of addressing some of these issues, and as a result, we've taken on more debt than uh, than we would have anticipated. Uh, okay, prior to I the appre- earthquakes. appreciate all of that, but doesn't answer my question. We now you carry by a third more than the next highest indebted council. We're nearly a decade after the, what are we, decade after the quake. My question is this. Under this long-term plan, does does debt come down over the next 10 years or does it continue to increase? There are two types of debt sitting on our books at the moment. One is uh, a Total debt. Well, uh, no, very, the, time, a very specific be... debt has been brought onto the books as a direct result of the last annual plan. Um, it is our intention to remove that debt within five years. So, so we're focusing on um, on selling down that or buying 
getting out of that debt in the next in the next um, well, it'll be four years now. So so that was that was one particular element of the debt, but the rest of it there is um, there is a, a, a obviously that is going to be reviewed once we've got our um, once we've got our companies. Uh, able to reconfigure their budgets and 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 thinking about the future in terms of um, a post COVID environment. So, I mean, a okay. lot of this so, is to do with it. Okay, we'll put it another way: per ratepayer, per household, it's a smidge more than thirty thousand dollars. Every every ratepayer owes on behalf of the council. Will that be lower? in 10 years' time under this plan? I can't answer that question right now. Okay, that's fine. All right. Thank you so much for joining Taxpayer Talk. Thank you. Listening to that is Christchurch City Councillor James Goff. James, thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. I'm going to ask you the first question or the same question that I asked um, Leanne at the beginning of the interview, which was when she was elected... In 2019, uh, she pledged to, quote, reduce rate increases to a sustainable level. In your opinion, how do you think she's going? Um, Well, let's be frank. Um, I don't put this all on Leanne. So um, I'm going to say that I think it's an epic failure, but I don't put that all on Leanne. She's won the vote around the table. Yep, you set the agenda, and yes, you set the tone. Um, but we've got basically a 5% rates rise on the cards in this next financial year. That's three times that inflation. To put it really simply, you're building a house of cards if the rates are going up more than what people's incomes are rising, and they certainly are. And then to extrapolate that out over the 10-year plan, it's a 50% rates rise projected in the long-term plan. And I've been around council for a while. Uh, Annual plan is amendments to the long-term plan. And councillors don't sit around and find out uh, how to cut their cloth accordingly each year. They add things on, and it's death by a thousand cuts. So, dare I suggest it, but that 50% rates rise in 10 years' time is going to be far more than that if uh, history continues the way it has. So, in between uh, recording with Leanne Dalziel and um, sitting down with you today, she's obviously announced that she's going to be stepping down at the next election. I don't think that was a result of, um, of, of, of my questions to her. But uh, I guess the, qu- the question, therefore, for ratepayers or for residents in the marvellous city of Christchurch is if we're not blaming the mayor, who, who, wh- how has this been allowed to happen, that a council that is in such a dire straits financially? I mean, what I think the most telling moment of that interview was when I laid out that, you know, Auckland Council's debt is a basket place a case, uh, Christchurch is um, not far behind, though, well out ahead of, of pretty much every other council around the country. And I asked the question, under this plan, in 10 years' time, do we owe more per household or do, do Cantabrians own more per household than they do currently? And she wouldn't give it... She, I didn't hear a straight answer out of it. Does this... Well, he, he, yeah, I can, can I give you one for her? On her yes, is the answer. Yes, the, the, ca- the ratepayers will owe far more. It's also, uh, they're very good at fudging things. And the reality is, it's about $4 billion worth of debt that the Christchurch City Council has. It's around $2, two million through the council itself and another $2 billion through CCHL, through, um, through uh, bond issues and the capital release program. 
Um, and that actually works out in, in real terms to about $35 million debt repayment per month via CCHL and $35 million per month debt repayment via Christchurch City Council. Um, so I think that is absolutely terrifying. What happened with the savings? I mean, you've been obviously in the public media pointing out that the you know savings were originally supposed to be $329 million. They went down to 268 I put that to the mayor and she said, well, the thing is, is um, one, it's a group decision, as you say, and two is that through the submission process, we get bombarded, she didn't put it like this, but we get bombarded with people that say, actually, um, that money's very helpful, thank you very much, and um, and, and you should continue well, to spend it. Of course they do. Is, I mean, is, is that inevitable and in, in, in the way that that local government is set up? I mean, how do we... Yes. It, well, well, then what do we need to change? Because it's not like sitting in, in, well, in Wellington today, but looking across the country, it's not like I could point to councils and say, well, you know, there's a leading light. At least they're doing... No. I mean, some are less bad, obviously, and actually yeah. some of the very small councils are probably the best, but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, across our th uh, all our metropolitan centres, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and I mean, Tauranga is an absolute basket case um, now that the commissioners are in there and, and, and gone rogue. What do we need to do to, um, to, to fix it long term? What would you, I mean, you're one of the few fiscally conservative councillors. Um, what changes would you be making if you had the levers of power in Wellington to change the framework of local government? Um, I think there's probably two issues. Um, and <laughs> you're getting me excited here, Jordan, because you know I, I sort of fantasise in a professional sense about uh, having that magic wand about what you could do. One, um, I, I'd actually like to see it legislated. Um, I would say that you, you would need, in a perfect world, special dispensation to go above uh, the CPI. Um, I so think that's, that's like Britain, unrealistic. sort of caps. I, mean, yeah, no, quite I would like to see it capped. Personally, um, if, if uh, the Crown never imposed it, um, then I, I would like, I think that the only sensible thing you can do is actually self-impose it. And I believe that the Christchurch City Council needs to uh, needs to do that. I think all councils need to do that, but I would certainly like to play a part in it. But going back to the to the magic wand, I think there's two things. One, I think it should be legislated, and hey, to give them a bit of rope, because you know councillors like to hang themselves with it, um, let's say even twice that of inflation. So if you've got 1.5% CPI, to go above 3%, um, you would simply need to go to the government and you'd like the, uh, the default answer to be absolutely not. So I would like to see it legislated that you couldn't write, uh, raise rates higher than uh, a, a certain level, whether it was CPI or slightly more. So that's one, a cap, I think, driven from central government, I think is absolutely essential. Otherwise, you're allowing these nutters who are running the asylum to continually uh, tap out the ratepayers' credit card and that of future generations. And that is... Um, completely uh, irresponsible in my view. And I don't think there are ve very many people, and it's so simple, it's right in front of us, um, but because it's this death by a thousand cuts, people just kind of grumble about it and accept it, and you rightly uh, shine a spotlight on it, but a lot of people don't. It, it, and, and it's so obvious. The numbers just don't balance. If someone ran a household like that, they would be bankrupt. Um, so one, I would say legislate would be my my first preference. And the second is I actually think that the representation model is stuffed. I think it incentivizes selfish silo so mentality. What, what do you mean representation model? You mean democracy? How, how, how councillors are elected. So when you, when you look at... You're in a first-past-the-post system down there, not a 
preferential yes. mode, are you? Okay. Oh, yeah, run, God. Run that, the, gets I mean, it, that, that, that's, that gets that, even worse. That would run count. I mean, a lot of the... Um, no, um, no, no. Can I, can I uh, explain what I mean by that? Um, councils are elected per ward, okay? So what that means is that, look, I, I would rather be voted out knowing that I made the right decision in the best interests of the ratepayer for all of Christchurch, because that's who I actually represent. When I swear my oath when I was elected, I say um, that I'm going to be acting the best interests of the Christchurch City Council and its ratepayers. However, that's not how you're re-employed. So councillors, and again, dare I say it, there are some capable ones there, but let's pretend they're not, um, they're going to increase their chances of re-employment dramatically if they can hoard as much as they can from the rest of the city, let's get another swimming pool for my area, let's get another community centre. And because it's a numbers game, they play a game of I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. So I'll support your swimming pool if you support my community centre. And this whole nonsense uh, carousel continues around where all of a sudden, and you can look at our um, annual plan, we have three mega closed roof shiny swimming pool facilities, brand new, in Christchurch, going to be opened all within the next uh, 12 to 18 months of each other. There's the Metro Sports Facility, which was the replacement for QE2 in the heart of the central city. It's, it's massive. Uh, and then you have the Hornby Pool, which is a Warren and Marnie masterpiece, 10 minutes away from actually another pool um, uh, in Hallsville. And then in Linwood, you have the Linwood Facility, which is about $20 million. All of these, by the way, have OPEX, forever thereafter at ever-increasing rates. But the Linwood Pool is 10 minutes down Morehouse Avenue from the new Metro Sports Facility, and they're going to be opening up within about 12 to 18 months of each other. So, But the councillors who are in the different wards aren't elected by, by those voters. So, it, so they're incentivised to screw everyone else in the city who's not in their ward, which means that the rates go up and up and up and up. This is incredible in that it is exactly what we pick up happens in Auckland, that we have councillors that, unless the pathological liars are on our side, but are in effectively trade-offs, and I think officials use it quite deliberately, um, yes. at least in Auckland, and I've not heard it expressed in the way you just have elsewhere, and maybe it's fundamental. Of course, the Royal Commission for Auckland recommended wards at large or elected at large, yes. where effectively you turn them, um, you turn it into like a Senate type, um, a type arrangement, yep. and it would mean that you would have big personalities and that sort of thing. But it yes. would op presumably operate a bit more like Wellington and the and the and the Westminster system, where you've got a little bit more of a check and balance. I mean, obviously the the, the setup in Auckland is slightly different with a with an increased mayoral powers. Although having said that, compared yeah. to uh, um, ten years ago, the the every mayor across the country has more powers because um, they are able to, for example, pick the committee chairs and uh, and the like. So, uh, but they but they only have one vote though, you know. So at the end of the day, look at council. You've got seventeen people around the table, which, by the way, I think is far too many. But so sixteen councillors and one mayor, um, and all of them represent awards. So their reemployment largely is going to be how much can I get for my small little neighbourhood patch. Yep. And the more I can put on everyone else, um, the, the better. And then everyone sort of plays that game. And yeah, I don't. There are a handful of us that, that, that don't. So I represent the Fenelton Ward. We have Jelly Park, great swimming facility. And there's another one in the ward uh, very, very close by. Um, look, if I got voted out because there was a proposal to do another swimming facility there, I would say absolutely not. It's financial lunacy. A metro sports 
facility is opening up um, within the next year or so, and we already have one. So no, sorry, my voters, vote me out then because I'm not on board with that. Everyone in the city um, is going to be picking up the tab and it's needless. So I wouldn't support that. However, I have seen a lot of councillors, in fact, uh, quite literally the majority of councillors that don't play that game and they try and get as much as they can for their little patch without ever uh, taking into account the overarching broad strategy for all of the ratepayers, which is who we actually represent. So it really annoys me when people say, oh, hi, I'm the councillor for it. Like, actually, no, you're the council for this territorial authority. I think the community board members could get, you know, uh, very vocal and, uh, and uh, you know... Um, in fairness, their, their role is not to govern they the, can the advocate. organisation. No, they're yeah. not. So you need to take a high-level helicopter view, and I think that that is governance 101. And unfortunately, that's when I, where I say the representation structure, I think, incentivizes silo mentality. Um, the only other thing that you mentioned that was a really good point, it's around the electors at large, and I 100% agree with you, but I think what you need to be mindful of is that there's a, there's, there's a spectrum, and finding that balance is at one end you've got great representation, and at the other end of the spectrum you've got great governance, and they are mutually exclusive in my view. Why? So you need to find... You can't have someone with it that, that's good at both? I think you can. You, you are preaching to the converted here, so, because I did propose that the council was um, cut in half um, and you put a hot knife through it and, and, um, and halve the amount of councillors. So yes, I actually believe that, that there is an element that you can have both. But I, I think that the argument is that if you elect at large, you can get a handful of big personalities all from perhaps the same area and there isn't so much of that connection from the voter to that elected representative, then I think they've gone too far the other end when they say, hey, this is great for uh, representation where you know every fourth street has a city councillor there and I feel connected to my, to my city councillor. But I think, I, I believe that good governance, I've never been in a committee or governance setting where adding more bums on seats adds to better decision making. It's just more stupid questions from silly people wanting to feel important uh, wanting to feel like the king of their castle, they create a committee so they can play mayor for the day, and um, it's just it, it's it, it's quite it's quite perverse, really. So I think a smaller focused number is better, and I, I would try and uh, offset the representation argument by saying, well, let's 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 empower the community boards. If you want the connection to an elected representative, how about we allocate the capital program inside the long term plan to that community board? They run the consultation. They prioritise it. You know the area as well, and they can live or die by the sword. So if they stuff it up, then they can be held to account. But right now, they're not really held to account because they make a series of recommendations. And when they're dumb recommendations, they generally, sometimes, sometimes not, get overturned uh, at the top table. So I think um, empower them. Say, you know your community as well. You prioritise the capital programme that we've allocated. Mm. And if you get it wrong, you'll be hung out to dry by the people that employ you. I thought that the um, the other thing that was that fascinated me with that interview, and it, it hadn't really occurred to me before, was that uh, Leanne pointed out that the council or your council was particularly hard impacted by COVID because of its wide portfolio of investments. That and actually, when we we it it blows out uh, the Christchurch City Council's group figures, not the parent council, but the group figures in our ratepayers report league tables. And it is extraordinary that the city that has, you know, experienced enormous adversity with the um, quakes a decade ago is still the council with all these investments on the side. It's sort of, mm. I mean, 
I know that, of course, it's the boogeyman for politicians to say, you know, sell assets. But if you hold these things for a rainy day, and if the Christchurch quake wasn't a rainy day, how in a situation 10 years later where we still hold everything and we're carrying this uh, an enormous debt and it's clearly making us vulner vulnerable in terms <laughs> of relying on income streams that, you know, that... Um, um, finances would say, you know, with a high asset beta or with large variability when there's a change in, in economic circumstances. I guess, it, but putting, I mean, I understand the political realities, you probably can't say um, sell, baby, sell like we can. But if you were uh, in your ideal world, what would be some of the low-hanging fruit that you would be picking in terms of increasing that savings amount or at least bringing down that residential rate increases figure. Yeah, well, again, I, I think you, you raise a really good point. Just to pull you up on um, the first comment that you made around it, um, I, I slightly disagree when you said that, you know, you hold them for a rainy day. You know, I, I think that that's, um, I think that's incorrect. I think that, or, or if that is the driver, then it's a foolish one. I think you hold it so long as you're getting the best possible value for the ratepayer dollars. So holding it for a rainy day, I think, is a mugs game, to be honest. That basically just says, then, I don't care about your money and we can get a better return elsewhere or we can lower your rates or we can lower our debt. But for touchy-feely reasons, we're going to hold on to assets because it, we like to empire build. So I, I don't think that holding on to something for a rainy day, for purely that reason alone, is uh, a good enough reason to hold on to it. I think you hold on to it because you can deliver greater value for your bosses, i.e. the, the ratepayers, by holding that strategic asset. Um, so then the, the next side to it, I, I think that there is some merit in having some assets. I would say the likes of, say, uh, airport and seaport, I think there is some strategic value there. Um, two, two reasons, and I'm sorry to, um, uh, to to pit off a Christchurch versus Auckland thing here, but I think if, you know, if, if Christchurch Airport were to be available, for example, there might be some merit in, Auckland Airport and Air New Zealand buying a majority stake in it or a super majority stake anyway uh, to really um, double down on the hub and spoke model out of Auckland, which from a Christchurch centric strategic perspective is probably not going to be in Christchurch's best interests. Yep. Though, as a counter to that, I don't think that you need to own all the shares in something to, re to realise its strategic value. Uh, and even if council owned 51% of it, so you still have a have a majority, and you can, and then you hold hands perhaps with someone else who would uh, might be able to um, add uh, value um, by having skin in the game, such as a Sydney Airport or a Singapore Airlines or something like that. Or if you look at it from a port perspective, like a, a Merce or a Hutchison's or something like that, where they're going to have skin in the game, they're going to be incentivized to help uh, drive as much business out of your asset as possible. You can actually grow the pie. So I think. People shouldn't just get freaked out when they hear the word asset sales. Really what it's about is getting the best possible return for the ratepayer dollar. And um, if you're just holding it for the sake of it or holding it for rainy days, then I suggest you're probably holding it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I think we, we, we might take a side. I, I, with the greatest respect to your profession, I just don't trust you to be able to do that long term. But um, I'll... <laughs> so the obvious question is, is then what would be the low-hanging fruit from a James Goff budget? Well, um, from from a budget or for an asset asset sale perspective. Well, either. I mean, how 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 what improvements would you make to the ten year plan that's just been passed? 
Oh, look, there are a heap. But from an asset-based perspective, um, I, I think strategic assets, yes, there's value in that. I don't see how contracts and companies are strategic assets. You take the likes of the city care, which is, uh, generates most of its revenue from the Golden Triangle in the North Island. Uh, there are lots of contractors there. Don't see that as strategic assets, just cutting the lunch of the private sector. Um, other than that, it's just the absolute wastage. You know, you've. Um, I also want to flag something that Councillor Sam McDonald has been highlighting, which uh, very few people around the table have an appreciation for, and that is we've um, been signalled that there is a distinct possibility of Standard & Poor's down, downgrading um, uh, a credit rating at, at the Christchurch City Council. So in tangible terms, that could make a, um, a very uh, real difference. higher. Matt, Matt is, exactly. The other thing, too, is, you know, we've got staff costs, 40% of our operational spend is staff costs 198 million. If you factor the capital program, it's about 20%. That is enormous. I think the council does far too much. It doesn't need to be the be all and end all of everything. And it's not even doing the basics right. So, you know, for the moment anyway, take care of the water, fix the roads, fix the footpath, take away the rubbish, and then lay the foundations for the private sector to get on with what they do best. And largely getting out of the way, I think, is what the council needs to do. And you could save an absolute fortune by um, by actually focusing the council on what its core role is, but it does everything else under the sun. And it doesn't need to, and it does it poorly as well. So I, I would say, uh, you know, really refocus the council. Sam uh, McDonald and I put forward an amendment to uh, instruct the chief executive to find 10% of staff, uh, say, staff cost savings, and that was rejected. Um, that's what we every also tried to had to do post COVID. I mean, that's yeah. Every, every business uh, and every household, um, except except the council, mm. so the one that represents our ratepayers. So, uh, and we also tried to defer the cycleways. They've gone hell for leather on those, and the roads aren't, aren't, aren't being fixed, and people can't walk down the footpath. I think you know, half the time. I think this the, in cycleways is a particularly bitter topic for most um, Aucklanders, although all taxpayers, um, with what's happening in Auckland. James, thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk and uh, keep up My God's pleasure. work. Thank you very much, Jordan. I appreciate your time and all the good things that you guys do.